Hi everyone, I'm Sai. Let's uh, we'll be reading from Deuteronomy chapter 15 verses 1 to 15 and Luke chapter 6 verses 20 to 21. Deuteronomy chapter 15 verse 1. At the end of every seven years, you shall grant a release, and this is the manner of the release. Every creditor shall release what he has lent to his neighbor. He shall not exact it of his neighbor, his brother, because the Lord's release has been proclaimed. Of a foreigner you may exact it, but whatever of yours is with your brother, your hand shall release. But there will be no poor among you, for the Lord will bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance to possess. If only you will strictly obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all this commandment that I command you today. For the Lord your God will bless you as he promised you, and you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow, and you shall rule over many nations, but they shall not rule over you. If among you one of your brothers should become poor, in any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. Take care lest there be an unworthy thought in your heart and you say, the seventh year, the year of the release is near, and your eye look grudgingly on your poor brother, and you give him nothing, and he cried to the Lord against you, and you be guilty of sin. You shall give to him freely, and your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him, because for this the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all that you undertake. For there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy and to the poor in your land. If your brother, a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman, is sold to you, he shall serve you for six years. And in the seventh year, you shall let him go free from you. And when you let him go free from you, you shall not let him go empty-handed. You shall furnish him liberally out of your flock, out of your threshing floor, and out of your wine press. As the Lord your God has blessed you, you shall give to him. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore, I command you this today. Luke chapter 6, verses 20 to 21. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. This is the word of the Lord. For reading so well for us, Sai, and for those of you who are new, my name is uh, Zian, the lead pastor here at One Covenant Church. And if you didn't understand some of the chatter just now, it's because Sai is actually Su Yang's uh, real sister, as well as sister in the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer as we begin uh, to look at His word this morning. Lord, we thank you that this is your word. We pray that as we open up your word, you would come and meet us in our need uh, with the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. Draw near to us, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, friends, we are beginning a series on the book uh, on deacons, and uh, usually in our church, we take a book of the Bible, we break it down to its component parts, and we work through it. Uh, we very rarely do topical sermons, but at points in time in the life of the church, we do need topical sermons to draw together different passages of Scripture to tell us what the Bible as a whole teaches us about 
uh, some particular topic. And so for deacons, we're doing that for this one series. So it is a topical sermon. I'll be drawing together different passages to show us God's heart for the poor. And the second thing I want to say is a lot of the material that I'm drawing from comes from this book called The Deacon by Cornelis Van Dam. So if you do happen to read the book and you realize that I plagiarized it, I probably did. Okay, so a lot of it is here, uh, full disclosure. And the third thing is you'd like to probably turn to page 10 uh, of your bulletin, and there's an outline there. It's going to be a bit more teaching-heavy today, um, but I, I hope that uh, we'll be confronting Jesus face-to-face -face as well, even through a more teaching-heavy sermon. So let's go to God's Word. Now, friends, deacons, uh, if you're from a different church tradition or any church tradition or no church tradition at all, you might be a bit confused about what a deacon is because different church traditions actually treat the role of deacon in a slightly different way. If you're in a Catholic or an Anglican church, a deacon is more or less a priest or a pastor in training. Uh, in a Baptist church, a deacon is a de facto elder who is more or less a spiritual leader in the church. In other churches, a deacon is the, uh, basically a glorified janitor. And in different ways, uh, people have uh, expressed the role of deacon. Uh, in our church, uh, as, as, as I read earlier, the office of deacon is an office of compassion and service that is modeled after Jesus Christ. What that means is, through, our, through the lens of scripture, we will see that Jesus was the first deacon. Now, why was Jesus the first deacon? Well, because the word deacon means servant, and Jesus is the servant of us all. He gave his life to death on the cross for our sins. And it is flowing from what Jesus has done that we appoint deacons to do what God wants us to do. Now, more than that, the heart of deacons actually flows from God's own heart of love toward the poor and needy. So what we're going to be doing today is to draw together different passages from the Old Testament and the New Testament to show us God's concern for the poor and needy. Now, as I look across the room, you know, a lot of glazed faces, you know, not many here, uh, you know, with, with like, you know, lots of needs. You might wonder why uh, we want to talk about the poor. Well, if I want to say this to you, you will not understand God's heart of love for you unless you understand God's heart for the poor and needy. And if we do not have a heart for the poor and needy, it doesn't matter how much biblical doctrine we confess we might not really know the God of the Bible. Okay, so that's why it's relevant for us today. So we're going to look at three things today together. Who the poor and needy are, how we help the poor and needy, and why we help the poor and needy. My friends, when we use the English word poor, we tend to think in a very, uh, very limited way. We tend to think of those who are economically challenged, those who have no money. But in the Hebrew language, there are actually three different words that are used to express the meaning of the word poor. That's, well, the word is translated poor in your English Bible, but it is usually one of three Hebrew words. And each of these Hebrew words brings out a different aspect or element of being poor. And what this means is the Bible speaks very comprehensively of what it means to be poor and needy. So the first word for poor is the word evion. And this is the word that refers to the materially poor. This is what we mean when we say the word poor in English. Someone who does not have money, someone who does not have material the material possessions that are able to sustain life. And the Bible recognizes this as a category of those who are poor. So in Deuteronomy 15, 11, God says, there will never cease to be the poor Evian in the land. Therefore I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy, and to the Evian in your land, to the poor. So the first word for poor is those who are materially poor, those who do not have the basic necessities of life. And God has a special care and a special heart for those who are materially poor. But there's another word in Hebrew, and that's the word dal. 
that also refers to the poor. But this is a different kind of poor. These are those who are powerless. These are those who have experienced some form of trauma or loss in their life. They might have been prosperous at one point in time, but because of certain trauma, whether it's physical or emotional, even spiritual, they are no longer able to fend for themselves, and therefore they are powerless. The Bible also considers this as a category of those who are poor, those who have had their power taken away from them, those who have their capabilities taken away from them. Exodus 23 verse 3 tells us not to be partial to a poor man, that's the word dal, in his lawsuit. So God is concerned not just for the materially poor, but the powerless, those who've experienced some kind of trauma that has taken their power and their ability away. There's another word for poor in Hebrew, and that's the word ani. This refers to the afflicted and oppressed. Those who are afflicted and oppressed by those in power. Proverbs 31 verse 9 says, Defend the rights of the poor, that's ani, and needy, avion. Psalm 82 verse 3 says, Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. God has a special heart not just for the materially poor, but also for the powerless and also for the afflicted and the oppressed. God has a special heart for the poor and needy, which is why, as the Bible speaks comprehensively about the poor, as you study the Old Testament, you see that there are different categories of people that are considered poor. You have the peasants and the farmers. Now, these might not necessarily be destitute, but they are at the mercies of the landowners for their living. They're considered poor. There are also the widows and the orphans, because in the patriarchal society that they lived in, without a husband or a father, you basically had nobody to provide for your needs. So widows and orphans were also considered in this category of the poor. Then you had the strangers and the foreigners and the sojourners. These were foreigners to the land of Israel. They did not have access to the usual social networks that the Israelites had. And as a result of that, they too were disadvantaged and considered poor. In the Old Testament, even the Levites and the priests, those who served God in the temple were considered poor. Why, friends? Because they had given up their right to land and inheritance in order to serve the Lord. And God is concerned that they be provided for as well. God has a special heart for the poor. That's why in Psalm 68, verse 5 and 6, it says he's the father of the fatherless and protector of widows. This is God in his holy habitation. God settles the solitary in a home. He leads out the prisoner to prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a parched land. In Deuteronomy 10, verse 18, it says he executes justice for the fatherless and the widow. He loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Now, some of you might think, maybe that's just in the Old Testament. How about the New Testament? Well, Jesus himself quotes from Isaiah the prophet in Luke chapter 4, 18, where he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news, that's the word for gospel, to the poor. Jesus is basically saying the only ones that truly get the gospel message are the poor. In Luke 6, 20, Jesus said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying, only the poor get his kingdom. Only the poor get the gospel, and only the poor get the kingdom. In the book of James, chapter 2, verse 5, it says, God has chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs 
of the kingdom. Friends, the scriptures speak very comprehensively of the poor and also shows us God's special heart and special care for the poor. The office of deacon is an office of compassion and service modeled after Jesus Christ. And that office doesn't begin with the administrative things that deacons have to do. It begins in God's own special heart for the poor and for the needy. And unless we as a congregation capture that heart for the poor and the needy, we will not choose the right deacons and we will not minister in the way that God intends for us to minister. So if you forget anything at all today, remember this, my friends. The Bible speaks comprehensively of who the poor are. They're not just the materially poor, they're also the powerless, the afflicted and the oppressed. And God in his glory and kindness has a special heart, a special love for the poor and the needy. And he wants us also to have that special heart for the poor and the needy. How do we help the poor and needy? How does God prescribe that we help the poor and needy? And this will give us some principles for how the deacons will function in the future and how together as a church, we can seek to love the poor and needy. I'm going to show you two parties that God in the Old Testament expects to care for the poor. Now, we're going to need to do a bit of work here in order to find how this translates to the New Testament. The reason is this. In the Old Testament, the people of God were a political entity, the nation of Israel. And so the laws that were written to them were given to them as a political nation. In the New Testament, with the coming of Jesus Christ, the people of God are no longer a political entity. We are a multinational gathering of people from every nation called the church. We're no longer a political entity. And so some of the things given to Israel in the Old Testament, we will see in a couple of passages of Scripture today, are translated, contextualized, and applied to the church. There are some changes, but the basic principles apply. So to Israel, God says these are the two parties that are to provide for the poor. Firstly, the family, and secondly, society at large. The family and society at large. So if you study the Old Testament, the family is supposed to be the first to provide assistance to the poor and needy. The Old Testament has the idea of a kinsman redeemer. This is a relative who would redeem a poor person, someone who's experienced loss or were exploited and oppressed. A relative steps in to relieve those who have become poor or those who are poor. The first part of call for anyone who is poor and needy is the household or the family. Now, does this translate to the New Testament? Well, yes, it does. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, Paul is talking about the care of the widows within the church. The church actually comes up with a list of those who are widows and they would provide care for the widows. But he actually has a certain set of criteria before they are added to the list. And one of the things he says is, if they have family, let the family take care of them first so that the church might not be burdened. In 1 Timothy 5 verse 8, he puts it emphatically, if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So as to not burden the church, the first part of call for the poor and needy is always the family, the household. That is the first part of call for those who are poor and needy. Now having said that, in Galatians 6 verse 10, Paul says, let us 
do good to everyone, especially to those who are the household of faith. The church of Jesus Christ is also described as a family, as a household of faith. So there might be certain situations, and I've met people like that, because of their belief in the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, some people are put out of the families. Some people are ostracized from the families, and they have no one to fend for them. I had a friend once who was from another religion, and when he believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, his mother wouldn't speak to him anymore, kicked him out of the house. And he gave a testimony once, and he said, my mother hasn't speak, spoken to me in four years, but Jesus speaks to me every day. There are people like that. There are people like that who continue to be experience persecution for the sake of the gospel that are kicked out of the households because they believe in the good news of the gospel in those situations friends i think the household of faith the family of god is obligated to step in to help because they are poor and they are needy for the sake of the good news of the gospel of jesus christ so the first part of call is the household is the family but the second part of call a society at large and this is where we need to do a bit of work here because it doesn't translate directly now friends as i mentioned in the old testament the people of god was a political entity so these laws in leviticus or deuteronomy or exodus were given to them as a political entity the church of jesus christ today is not a political entity it is a household of faith it is a gathering of people from different nations so some translation needs to take place with some of these laws and some of these commands. But broadly speaking, God says to Israel, to God's people, that these are the two things that society at large or God's people, the church, are to give to the poor and needy. Firstly, justice. And secondly, charity. Justice and charity. So let's consider justice. Justice must be done and rights must be upheld for the poor and needy. In Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 19, you shall not pervert justice. You shall not show partiality. Psalm 82, verse 3, give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. In other words, friends, the poor and needy must be treated justly and fairly by God's people. God's people must have no hand in oppressing and afflicting the poor and needy. Justice must be done, and their rights must be upheld. Now, how is this translated into the New Testament? Well, when you go to the book of James and you look at chapter 2, do you notice how James emphasizes that we should not show partiality to the rich over the poor? If a rich man comes in with fine clothing, don't give him the best seats in the house and ask the poor man to sit behind. That's showing partiality. And James says, if you do that, you have denied the faith. You have denied the gospel. So that same sense of justice and the rights of the poor and needy being upheld is translated into the New Testament. Now, friends, in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 4, it says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it is treading out the grain. Now, that is a law given to Israel. Now, some complications here, but basically is a picture here. 
of an ox laboring, treading the grain. But if you muzzle it, it's doing all the hard work, but it's not able to eat the grain. It's not able to enjoy the benefits of the hard work that it's doing. I think what it's saying in Deuteronomy 25 verse 4 has to do with treating your workers well, giving them fair wages. Now, friends, is that only in the Old Testament? Well, friends, the Apostle Paul actually quotes this twice in the New Testament. Once in 1 Corinthians 9 verse 9, and once in 1 Timothy 5 verse 18. You can look up the references. And in both these references, he's using this particular principle in the context of those who have given up their livelihood in order to serve the gospel in order to work for the church. They are to be treated fairly. Their rights are to be upheld, and they should be paid fairly. I'm just going to leave it at that. Secondly, charity or compassion. Not just justice, but charity and compassion. Charity must be exercised toward the poor and the needy. The Israelites were called to be generous. In Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 7 and 8, it says, if among you one of your brothers should become poor, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need. Depending on the need, some would be given more and some would be given less. The principle is given to us in Exodus chapter 16, verse 17 and 18. They gathered some more and some less. Whoever gathered much and nothing left over and whoever gathered little had no lack. The principle is that everyone's needs were met. Now, is this only in the Old Testament? Well, no, because the Apostle Paul once again quotes Exodus chapter 16, verse 17 and 18 in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 14 and 15. And in that passage, he speaks in the context of one church supplying the needs of another. And this is what he says. Your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance shall supply your need that there may be fairness. As it is written, and then Paul quotes from Exodus chapter 16, verse 17 and 18, whoever gathered much and nothing left over, whoever gathered little had no lack. Once again, that principle is translated and applied to the church. So what is the church called to do for the poor and needy. The church is called to uphold, to uphold justice, and the church is called to give charity to the poor and needy. Finally, friends, why? Why do we need to help the poor and the needy? Well, friends, there are two reasons. Firstly, it reflects God's love, God's love for his people. In Jeremiah 31 verse 3, God says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. And in response to his love, God's people are meant to do two things. They're meant to love him in return. Deuteronomy 6 verse 5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. If we have really experienced God's love, we will love him in return. But more than that, if we have really experienced God's love, we will begin to love others. Because Leviticus 19, 18 says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. If you've truly experienced the love of God, we will love him in return, and we will love others. And by helping the poor and needy, we're reflecting God's love for us. 
But the second thing, and this is very important for us to note, is that by helping the poor and needy, we're celebrating God's redemption together. You see, friends, God's love is not merely a sentimental love. It's not just something he says. He acts. In his love, he delivers his people. He redeems his people. So when his people were in bondage in Egypt, afflicted and oppressed by the Egyptians, he redeemed them. He rescued them and he brought them to himself because of his sheer love for them. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 8, it says, It is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. God has loved them and God has delivered them. And because God has done them, this to them in their poverty and affliction, they should do the same for others who are in poverty and in affliction. Did you notice uh, Deuteronomy 15? So I read for us so well just now. There's a whole list of things that they're supposed to do for the poor and needy. Do you notice how that ends? It ends in verse 15 of Deuteronomy 15, verse 15, with the reason why they are to treat the poor and needy in such a kind way. It says here in verse 15, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore, I command you this today. Treat the oppressed, treat the poor well, because I, the Lord your God, have treated you well in delivering you out of Egypt. Friends, when we help the poor and needy, we are celebrating the redemption of God, not just in their lives, but in our lives as well. And together we enjoy the freedom that God has given to his people. Cornelis Van Dam puts it this way, joy and gladness are important aspects of being God's people. And helping the poor and needy is a vital part of ensuring that all can share in the liberating joy of redemption. Why do we help the poor and needy? Because when we help the poor and needy, together we are celebrating and enjoying the liberating joy of redemption together. So friends, that's who the poor and needy are. That's how we help the poor and needy. And that's why we're called to help the poor and needy. But before we go, friends, I need to show you how the person and work of Jesus Christ draws all of these together and drives it into our hearts. Remember in Luke chapter 4, Jesus says, Blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Jesus is really saying that only the poor get the kingdom of God. He says in Matthew 5.3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus really is saying that only the poor get the kingdom of God, and only the poor get the kingdom of heaven. Many years ago, friends, I listened to a sermon by Tim Keller that basically changed my life. Now, I had no idea who he was. A few people, or one person in particular, printed a few sermons of his on a CD. That's how long ago it was. I was listening to it. And he was preaching on this passage in Matthew chapter 5. And he said something that completely shook me. You know what he said? He said, you know, the reason why you don't love the poor is because you don't see yourself as poor. 
And I thought to myself, that's true, I've been a Christian for many years and I don't really have a genuine heart for the poor. And then he said something else. And the reason you don't see yourself as poor is because you don't really believe the gospel. That shook me even more. You see, Jesus says, only the poor in spirit get into the kingdom of God. Tim Keller said this, you know, a middle-class spirit will never get you into heaven. Now, what's a middle-class spirit? Middle-class spirit is someone who's neither very rich nor neither very poor, but someone who's quite self-sufficient, able to meet their own needs. Most of us are in that category. But if you apply it to the spiritual realm, a middle-class spirit will never get you into heaven. Why, friends? Because a middle-class spirit still thinks there is something they can contribute to salvation. Jesus says only the poor in spirit get the kingdom of heaven. John Calvin puts this this way, we shall never be clothed with the righteousness of Christ except we first know assuredly we have no righteousness of our own. We shall never be clothed with the righteousness of Christ except that we first assuredly know that we have no righteousness of our own. So friends, if you're listening to this sermon and you're getting bored, if you sneer at the poor, you look down at the poor, you think that helping the poor has nothing to do with you, or maybe you just merely pity the poor, what God's word is saying is, you might not truly believe the gospel and you might not truly have the kingdom of God because you have not understood grace. You have not seen your own lack of righteousness. Because friends, if you really believe the gospel, if you really grasp grace, you will see and you will know that you are poor. You are poor in spirit. And yet, friends, those of us who are poor in spirit see at the cross that Jesus gives us both justice and charity. You see, his death in our place acquits us and justifies us. And his death means that he loves us in spite of us. The poor in spirit have received justice and charity from Jesus himself. And seeing that, friends, will completely change the way you see yourself and you see the poor and you see the needy. You see, friends, the only way that we can truly have a heart for the poor and needy is if we see ourselves as poor and needy and yet having received undeserved grace nonetheless. When that happens to us, friends, we help the poor and needy not out of pity, but out of solidarity. And when you help the poor and needy, you are reflecting the love of God and reflecting the redemption of God. And friends, that is where the ministry of deacons begins. Not on all the administrative things and the tasks they have to do, the ministry of deacons begins when the church captures 
God's own heart for the poor and needy. When the cap- church captures God's own heart for you who are poor and needy. Let's pray. Father, we confess to you that we don't have a heart for the poor and needy. We confess to you that we do not see ourselves as poor and needy. We confess to you that truly we do believe we still have something to contribute to our salvation. And because of that, Father, we might be further from your kingdom and from heaven than we truly know. And so we ask you today, Lord, by your spirit, to bring us close once again to how helpless and needy we truly are, but also how gracious and merciful you are. Even as we begin to celebrate the Lord's Supper together, remind us again, Lord, that it is all of grace. And if it is all of grace, it is life-changing. Change us today, we pray. Make us, Lord, those who see ourselves as poor and needy, but have received of your grace, and those who will then love the poor and needy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.